Check it out, Stan. Holy shit. Wow. Isn't that cool? How did you get down uh, on? I, I is worked that on right? Wow. You better believe it's right. It really, yeah, really let's wow. See. Let's see. That's really nice. I like to surprise Stan. Aww. Now that is wild. That Isn't that cool? Now, this is the thing that blew me away. This isn't the first time I've seen this. I told you about this when we were over in Norway. Right. And they got a hold of that map that's on the wall and they 3D'd it, went to spherical projection. And they had that thing on a globe as big in diameter as this room. What? Yeah. And and they could rotate the image around and spin the globe, and it was incredible what they were doing. It was one of these 3D studios that they had. Um, okay, so the point of the show, which we discussed before, was we wanted to maybe shine some light on Ukraine in a completely different way, which is the rocks. You know, what are the rocks of Ukraine saying? I was thinking, you know, what do they actually have? What does this country do it with its natural resources? How does it make money off these natural resources? And I thought it was pretty interesting. It was mostly coal mining, a little bit of gold mining, and a graphite mine. Mm. But that's it. You know, no iron ore, like, uh, you know, oil and gas isn't a very big. Well, that all depends as to how you define the boundaries of Ukraine. And if the topic comes up, I have some comments on that later from the Mindat point of view. I see, for example, you have Crimea here as part of Russia. Russia. And on Mindat, you'll see that and there are lots of iron ore deposits in Crimea, iron ore, phosphates. Yeah, Kerch Peninsula. And if you look on Mindat, you'll see the Kerch Peninsula is in Ukraine. And it's crawling with mineral. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, well, and as far as the Ukrainians are concerned, it still is Ukraine. Well, internationally, it's still recognized as Ukraine. Yeah, see that? 121 localities down in the Crimea. So in the last six years on Mindat, Crimea has moved back and forth between Ukraine and Russia three times as what? the policies change. Because for any website like Mindat, which is organized geographically, there's always the question of what to do about disputed areas. How do you classify yeah. them? So Mindat's original policy years ago was that we would just copy the National Geographic's policy. Yeah. And the National Geographic's policy for their world maps is not to make uh, moral judgments about who should own what, but just to show who actually controls the land. So since <laughs> so we decided after Russia had conquered Ukraine, what's that, eight years ago? Some, six 2014, years ago, some, yeah. Yes, eight years ago. <clears throat> So we decided, well, unfortunately, we have to move all the mineral localities from Ukraine, from the uh, from, on, from Crimea, sorry, all the mineral localities on Crimea, which are many, yeah, and move them from the Ukrainian hierarchy to the Russian hierarchy. So they all became Russia. Oh, gosh. And after that, the management group on Mindat was discussing this and say, well, you know, when you have wars and things, things can be temporary. And do we want to be moving things back and forth wherever yeah. the front lines are? 
So how about we have a five-year rule? So we instituted a five-year rule that we will not move something to another country's control until after they've had it for five years. Right. And since five years hadn't passed yet, the mineral localities and the photographs ah. of Crimean localities moved back to Ukraine again. <laughs> then three years ago, when the five-year period was over, somebody said, well, Russia's been there for five years now, so Somebody. all the pictures of Crimean minerals moved back to Russia again. And when Putin invaded uh, Ukraine a few days ago, there was another discussion on the management group that perhaps mm -hmm. we, you know, are we going to move half of Ukraine into Russia now just because it's occupied by the Russian army? Wow. No. <laughs> How about we follow internationally recognized by the United Nations criteria? Well, the UN officially still recognizes Crimea as being Ukraine. So all the photographs of Crimean minerals moved back to Ukraine, Ukraine again. <laughs> so over the last six years or so, they've gone back and forth between uh, Ukraine and Russia three times and are now currently in Ukraine again. <laughs> wow, that's an interesting problem behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, well, look how many more mineral localities there are in Ukraine compared uh, in uh, Crimea compared to the whole country. Ukraine. Yeah, yeah. Is it an island? Is that it there? No, it's a peninsula. This guy. The it's connection connect to the mainland though is pretty very skinny. tenuous. It looks like it's connected both places actually. No, well, they have a bridge. a bridge. There, the... Okay, so that yeah, that's quite a bit of water. The Second there. World War, that bridge was not there. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Bell Geospace. Bell Geospace has the gravity data that you need in the Permian Basin to see the structures below your reservoir, to see the structures in the reservoir and above. It's all connected. It all has a lot to say and a lot to do with how much oil, brine, or gas you're getting. You need the data to make better wells. You got to contact Julianne Sharples, jsharples at bellgeo.com or go to bellgeo.com. Check out their data. Check out what they're providing in their FTG, full tensor gravity gradiometry. The data is very high resolution. We did an exciting show, episode 91 with Bell Geospace, interpreting some of that data. Contact them today. Drill better wells. Let's go. This episode of PBE Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Geolog. Geolog offers cost-effective, lab-quality, quantitative, real-time formation evaluation and reservoir characterization solutions to improve well placement, production forecasting, and optimizing of completions. They even have a service that can monitor bitware while drilling. I've actually utilized their services while drilling wells in the Permian Basin and we were highly impressed with the data acquisition process and the quality of the interpretations. These guys at Geolog are passionate about the data they collect each day at every well site. They've been doing it for 40 years. They are passionate about drill cuttings, passionate about mud gas data, passionate about what the data means and how the data can add value to an asset. They probably collect the most amount of drill cuttings and mud gas data globally each day of any privately owned surface mud logging company. Geolog always employ a consistent quantitative analytical methodology, whether on the well site or back at the lab. So data collected at one well can be compared in another well. 
We'll be doing a podcast with Dr. Guy Oliver, Geolog's Director of Energy Transition and Data Science, who will be talking more about what Geolog does and diving more into the types of data they collect. Well, first, let's kick it off with who's talking, right? <laughs> so Troy Tittlemeyer here from PB Podcast, Mavicam Research Institute, getting to talk with Stan Keith, Alfredo Petrov, and Lori Carroll. And now I'm going to pass the mic to Lori. Miss Lori, introduce yourself as you would to anyone on the streets, I guess. Well, thank you. It's nice to be welcome to this podcast in this serpentosphere. And I've been working with Stan now for almost 18 years. So seeing a little That's bit scary. Of, of the West and, um, of course, the Tucson Gem and Mineral Show meeting all sorts of valuable people and Troy has come into our world. It's been a couple years now yeah. and um, things are going well. So thank you for having me. Right on. Alfredo, introduction. Um, my name is Alfredo Petrov. <laughs> Stan is laughing. <laughs> That's just me. I'm a, all I am is a big tease. <laughs> um, I have been following MagmaChem's work for several years. I work with Stan on his uh, rare species collection. I have an interest in uh, rare minerals. And thank you for inviting me to your podcast. All right. And Stan the man, introduction. <laughs> well, I've been doing MagmaCam since about 1976. <laughs> and uh, Alfredo is about to get an interesting new hydrocarbon to discuss called Kerite which is native to Ukraine. And as far as I can have been able to tell, it's the only mineral that hydrocarbon mineral that is a legitimate hydrocarbon mineral. And it's the only place you find it is in North central Ukraine wow. in pegmatites, where it is a hydrocarbon that evolved under supercritical conditions. And it's the only hydrocarbon that I know of that on this planet that has. So we're going to, Learn all about that today, whether you want to or not, Troy. <laughs> nice. Well, let's start with cracks of the world. Set us up. Yes. Boom. We're looking at the country, Ukraine. You got these big cracks coming through it like that. Uh, Look at that crack going along the northern Ukraine there at the northern boundary. This guy. Yeah, that's the Pripyat's River. All right. That big crack is, whoa. It's one of the big cracks. <clears throat> what the? And a big old, so they got a bunch of natural gas up in the north part of their country then. Yep. Okay. So do they, I didn't, I couldn't find anything talking about them producing a lot of natural gas. Well, there is some production from up there if you dig into the okay. data more. But the east side of the country is definitely the coal mining. Yep. And then the Azov Sea, which is to the northeast of Crimea. Uh huh. That's a giant uh, analog for the Permian Basin. Is that right? Yeah. I remember that one day I showed you that mud volcano? From Azerbaijan? No, it wasn't Azerbaijan. Well, that's that's the Lakbaitan one. But the active one, there was a bunch of bathers along the shoreline. Oh, yeah. And this big created a wave. mud. Yeah. Created a little tidal wave that yeah. scared everybody off. Yeah. We should have kept that video here because it's it's Ukrainian. <laughs> That's where it is oh, that wow. right? It's a Ukrainian that, video. That's right. 
I wonder if our local ones at the Salton Sea could ever... I mean, does it look like a whale doing stuff? Well, those little guys... Have you been to the Griffins? No. That's, that should be on your bucket list. In well, if I ever come back over to Desert Hot Springs or we go on a little trip out there, yeah. we're stopping there. And this is the one. That's where it is, where, where you were coming from yesterday? Yes, yes. Yeah, it says uh, in Aza, in the Aza, let's okay, start this one's from the longer. beginning. Yeah, this one's good. Oh, Several good. months ago, this happened. Oh, there you there's go. <laughs> there's the, she was not topless. There's no. the topless beauty. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that wave coming. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Look at these people. They're like, oh, and the camera gets wiped out. Look at this. Whoa. Blood red waters. Yeah. And so there's this crazy algal plume thing that happens. A bloom. This <laughs> went around. They did flood. Earthquake. No. Something else. No. Now the A's off? No. No, now he's going to talk about so how it turned this, red. In 2012, does yeah. this happen often? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, look at that. Uh, wow. So the mud volcano must have, it, it obviously brought in a bunch of food for the- Oh, yeah, algae. the local bugs love it. <laughs> and they just flourished. <laughs> Pretty wild. Okay, so that happened right there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, structure, big structure to the north, east of Ukraine. Obviously, I mean, those big faults that we even see in the presentation, somewhere around here, aren't they? Isn't that where... Oh, our uh, pegmatites? Yeah. I'll show you. These big faults? Yeah, that's the local geology at Voldarsk. And where's that in, in Ukraine? Um, right about... In there, yeah, yeah, yeah. right about in there, right on cracks. Though, oh, it's bounded by another crack, big crack that wraps around. What? Yeah, and there's uh, a big crack that goes right through the Crimea too. And that's why there's hydrocarbons in that whole area. That's an active mud volcano complex. Wow, the size of the Permian. Man, that's a huge fault right there. What well, that's the Carpathian head? front. Wow. Okay, so let's turn that off. We're going to dive into, say it again, Stan. We are... Voldarsk. Volodarsk. Not working out. Okay, well, we know the general area. We're northwest of... Well, the point is, go, if you go to the PowerPoint, it's all there. Right. Now let's do it. We're putting you up against the wall, Stan. <laughs> no pressure. He's going to put me up against the wall. Um, He's going to fact check me. You know what? It's been almost a year. I was just listening to the show we did when you visit us. May 2021. Well, what have you been up to? It doesn't seem like a whole year. I know. What have you been up to? Uh, pandemic travel restrictions. Mm. I've gone to Spain three times since I last saw you, but other than that, I haven't done much traveling. Wow. How are the wife and Went kids? Went to the Munich Mineral Show. Mm. They're fine. They're Good. enjoying life in their Spanish national park. They're in Spain? <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Well, the big change mineralogically in the family since a year ago is that the wife got an interest in meteorites and she's been spending yes. all my money buying meteorites. Yes. Oh, Noriko? That's yes. exciting. Heck yeah. yeah. That's a win. Could be she's even starting a website about meteorites Aww. to, or, you know, to. Oh, great. 
And you were saying that we might hear something about some Ukrainian meteorites. Uh, Joe Leon raised a question in the management group on Mindet as to whether we should show our, of course, it doesn't really help them, but just to demonstrate our moral support for the poor Ukrainians being attacked, if we just show Ukrainian minerals and your Ukrainian localities on Mindet photo of the day. You'll notice if you go back through the photos of the day on the front mm. page of Mindet, it's all been Ukrainian minerals. Mm. Do you own any Ukrainian minerals or rocks? Well, I do have some phosphates from the iron mines uh, from Kerch, from the Crimean Peninsula that we were just talking yeah. about, whether those should be classified Tennis match as Ukrainian. Going on right right. Now. I think the only, uh, the only Ukrainian minerals in my personal collection are the phosphates from the Crimean Peninsula. Okay. So you have no, uh, no, well, what's Volvars. this one? Is this right. one no, here? It they must be. They're putting them up a photo of the day. Barrel from pegmatite. That's, that's the Heliodor Ukraine. from uh, Volodarsk. Yeah. And since the invasion started, every photo of the day has been Ukrainian. And I mm -hmm. pointed out to Jolion that uh, the meteorite list. Uh, group online, the meteorite discussion group online called Meteorite List. They have been showing Ukrainian uh, meteorites wow. ever since the invasion started. Is there a meteorite? Uh, so there, yeah, there are, are several famous meteorites from Ukraine. Not too far from Volodarsk, actually. Some meteor falls there. Mm -hmm. Will it show us all the where where yeah. they are? I want to see a map of all the located meteorites. You, you, they're in. There you go. Wow. Yeah, we've been pelted with those things pretty good, huh? <laughs> oh. Yeah, we've been hit a few times. <laughs> and what are the, what's this symbol mean? Meteorite. That's it? So all these are, if you zoom in, that's what's going to happen. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> So your wife that just keeps getting better. I bet better. that's just I, reporting. I We're better at reporting you know, than you're the other countries. You're never going to see anything like this. <laughs> yeah, one of right. Yeah, <laughs> probably. As long yeah. as the internet keeps working, it's incredible what you know. I mean, he's gotten how many awards has he gotten for that thing now, Julian? For creating Mindat? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was it what he started in two thousand one or so? Uh, two thousand, I think. Yeah. Christmas 2000. It is nice and comprehensive. And I don't want to give Alfredo too much credit, but he's one of the you are you're one of the originators, aren't you? Are you really early on? Well, Jolion started it by himself. It was his personal uh, mineral cataloging program for his right. collection when it first started, <laughs> and then he decided to make it public and asked for volunteers to help with data upload and managing it. And I was one of the first six, so I've been with Mindat since the beginning. It's basically a founder. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, it's a big deal to keep it. Oh, it's been a pleasure knowing this clown. I, it's, it's important. Great guy. Sure and I'm thankful for people that. Yeah. I see you're getting right in the flow here of the personality battle. <laughs> uh, okay, so some stats about Mindat that I think are pretty interesting. Mineral species, actual, actually named 
minerals that can be found in the database. There's 5,779 of them. That's how many mineral species there are. The official mineral species, which are approved, which have gone through the approval process. Yeah, and but Al only Alfredo 3, and I have a lot of cynical commentary on that, but of course. anyway. Uh, so I'm not sure if kerate is- uh, one, Oh, it's not. Or if it's even on Mindet. In fact, we should check it that. Is. Because if it, it is, is, we should rectify that, add some more data about it. You got rock names, 3,030. Oh, yeah, what's on there is pathetic. But, but you got a lot more there. other names. Yeah, whatever. What, what's that mean? What are the other names? That means varietal names, you know, things like amethyst, which are not technically mineral species, but they're just a name that people have given to a variety. Oh, wow. Or foreign names for minerals. It, it's basically a basket that includes or, everything that isn't an officially approved mineral species name. Or name something after themselves when they find it. Well, you're not no, allowed they, to do you're that. You're not allowed. Minerals. You're yeah. not allowed to do that anymore? No, no but I can name, that? if I, what he can, since he knows me real well, and I'm a big authority in uh, the whole mineral world, which I'm not, uh, but I can name the mineral mm -hmm. the for him. So, and he actually had somebody name a mineral for him. Alfredo. He, he has an Alfredo, no, an Alfredo petrophyte. Oh, nice. That's an officially approved name. That is. We can yes. find that under rock names. No, no, no under no, mineral, mineral names. names. Now, oh, just just to expand on that a little bit, I can't let him get away. With it. <laughs> we got to test that out. We oh, see. fact check now. Alfredo. Oh, beautiful. That is nice. Wow. Where'd you find that? In Bolivia, Bolivia uh, a four oh. centimeter wide hydrothermal vein of selenites. Whoa, selenite's coming back. We got selenite and uh, pegmatites, right? Selenides, that's selenium bearing mineral. Oh, selenite, selenite is a varietal, varietal name of gypsum. It's one of those other 5,000 or 18,000 names. <laughs> 45,000. Of which he was holding that yellow uh, barrel shaped crystal. Uh -huh. which is Heliodor, which is a varietal name for barrel, for yellow barrel, which by the way is the high temperature barrel, as opposed to the aquamarine barrel, which is a little cooler. Well, when you heat aquamarine, it turns into Heliodor. Yeah. Which yeah. one did you actually find, a little snowball? Um, or all of those? No, I didn't find that mineral. It's just named after me. <laughs> I, did a, I did a lot of study of the locality Oh. So when a mineral is named after a person, it doesn't necessarily mean that that person found the mineral, just that you know some other reason they have studied the locality. I or gotcha. they he's just a well-known. That's guy. a nice picture. Definitely. Well, now that's the appropriate way to look at Alfredo with a beard and a <laughs> scruffy-looking hair. Yeah, that's what I normally look like. This is today is atypical. <laughs> <laughs> we need to do something about that. We need to put a wig on you or something. <laughs> well, I thought there was a Stan Keithite or something. No, Stanite. There's a Mount. Well, there there's will a be Mount, eventually. There's a Mount Keithite. <laughs> There, uh, there should be a mineral named after Stan, and, I, and if he doesn't, and he's the, he's the guy. He, he, he's the guy. He and can name it. Yeah. Most, yes. of, most appropriately, it should be a hydrocarbon mineral. Yes. Nice. The, the difficulty with getting hydrocarbon minerals officially approved by the IMA is that you have to prove that it is not a mixture, and that is surprisingly difficult to do. 
you have to have, you know, sometimes with infrared studies and transmission electron microscopy and all kinds of high tech techniques, you can prove that. But the IMA, the International Mineralogical Association, oh, into this will not accept um, a hydrocarbon mineral as a legitimate species unless you prove that it's not a mixture. Mm -hmm. And most hydrocarbons in nature are grab bags. They're mixtures of all kinds of different phases. As in carrageen or aromatics yeah. or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. Carrageen is a bag of arom different aromatics, right? Right. Some of which are minerals. Like the phenanthrene molecule in there is ravitite, official name of IMA approved. For phenanthrene? Correct. Whoa. Okay. So that's interesting. So now the, the other thing that the IMA won't do is it, they have to have their own toys as part of the identification protocol. So... ICPMS, which is the way you really identify individual hydrocarbon species, mm -hmm. I've never seen them use a chromatogram ID type of uh, science to, for their identification. And that's the way we do it. So for example, all the diamondoids, which are legitimate minerals because they have x-rayable structure more and right. more. Carbon and hydrogens. Yeah. Um, they have not yet been approved. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, uh, try adamantane. That might be in there. I was going to say. It's if adamantane hasn't been, been approved. approved species yet. Adamantane isn't? Is not that I know of, but let's just check. It might be a uh, name in there, though. But it's not that no, the IMA yeah, has rejected ADA adamantane. Yeah. No. It's that, that looks nobody right. has submitted it. There is a disconnect uh. <laughs> between the organic chemists. And you got to spell it right for us all. Without the I at the end. Yeah. Yeah, Look at that. We got something I added that information onto Minnet. This is our actual input. You could click here to sponsor this page. Ooh. How much does that cost? Maybe Magma Chem should sponsor that page. I think it's $100 a year. It's a good one. Well, what? okay, so you put that one in. What about... But that doesn't mean that it's actually a recognized mineral. No, it isn't. It's one of those 45,000 other names of non-recognized things. So what would it take to actually get it to be a recognized... Going through a committee process, which is as constipated as hell. Yeah, well, you would have to do a structural and chemical study of it, publish a paper, well... Before you publish the paper, you have to submit it to the IMA for approval. And the IMA's Commission on New Minerals and New Mineral Names will review it and make sure that it fulfills the definition of a mineral, that it is natural. Which is quite controversial. Not something you cooked up in a lab. <laughs> And that it is not identical to any other mineral that has been previously described. And if it satisfies all those criteria, they will send you a notice saying your new mineral is approved. And then you can go ahead and submit it to a journal for publication. Hmm. And nobody has gone through the procedure. So adamantane may very well be a legitimate mineral species. No, no, no. Species, I would prefer that, that name it. right there because that's, that's the, the root that's diamondoid. The Stanley Keithite. Did you did you write up diamantane by any chance? Um, uh, not sure. I don't remember. Let's try that one. Diamantane. Get that one That's right. That's right. Nope. 
diamondoid is that in there with an explanation of what it means that would be the name for the series diamondoid diamondoid oh. popular press that's an well, alfredoism it just says uh, synonym for adamantine it's not true right we have to correct that then a yeah adamantane is a quote unquote mineral in the diamondoid series uh-huh because then you got time there's at least 11 right. specific diamondoids diamantane and trimantane but yeah have, de decamantane how I mean, many blah, okay blah, the next question is just to keep you on the straight and narrow <laughs> <laughs> How many of those 11 have actually crystallized in nature as separate nanocrystals? Uh, all of them. It, it, if yeah, you look at, so uh, they're not their, they're if you not look at their chromatographic definition, mm -hmm. uh, for example, in that magic rock you gave me from New York, uh, we did a big time chromatographic thing on it. Every diamondoid was clearly visible in each, it had specific chromatogram signature. And so it was in that, in that black shit but as, na they, as nanocrystals. But just to continue to play devil's advocate here, do, do they occur as discrete particles, even if it's only nanometer size, or are they in solution okay. in the amorphous They get down into... Because okay. if they're, they're just dissolved in solution, mm -hmm. then mineralogists do not consider them to be minerals. They have to occur as discrete particles. I think they're discrete particles, but since you can't see them, um, but well, they are in a solid state. Well, it doesn't matter if you can't see them. If you can photograph them with an electron microscope, yeah, that's that. enough. Yeah. You can do that. And uh, you can fry them up and put them on a paper yet. plate. Remember the Jeremy Dahl well, did it? He had a pile of them. Yeah, they, yeah but those were, <laughs> you can argue this one. Uh, they were in oil and then they distilled it out of it they took a whole tank car and that little plate of yeah. sugary looking stuff was distilled from that tank car and that happened to be the specific mineral uh, diamondoid tetramantane oh so then you'd argue that they it was lab created almost well that's a good question because what happened was these things were particles in the oil right they found each other Locked and they up. aggregated mm -hmm. into a bigger mm -hmm. crystal. But there were individual particles. Yeah. Bigger the, than a single molecule. There was a there. nucleus yeah. that these things gathered around, yeah, aggregated to. Because that's important. Because if it's just molecules in solution in the oil, like sugar in water, then, then it's going to show not, up as a. It's not yeah. considered to be a mineral. It's only a mineral if there were. Nanome at least nanometer-sized crystals right. floating around in the oil. Mm. Which is two or three units. But not in solution yeah. in the oil. Solutions right. don't count as minerals. Right, but I think these were particles. Well, this is a good transition, I think, into the meat of the show, which Stan has been working on for a couple of days now. Well, probably a week. Because the Ukrainians, at least a week. Or the Russians, are Ever calling, since the invasion. Yeah. 
the uh yeah so the the russians ukrainians eastern europeans they're calling this thing keratin keratin it's this black no, fibrous carite 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 which is carrageen in our in our world it's carrageen it's a it's a it's a mineral in the carrageen family yes yeah but it's recognizes carite right and then so why is that there? should be a mineral and then on top of it, the papers go into, well, it's organic matter, they call it, right? And it gets into oh, this yeah, big yeah, yeah. kind is of- Is it biochemical? Is it? They think it fell in out of a lake, which is complete nonsense. Well, yeah, because it's it's embedded with minerals that are crystallizing out at 600 degrees C. You know, there's no there's no organic thing going on down there. At well, and the pegmatite is C. in fluids that are going that way. They're not going this way. Yeah, so it's- you know, it, yeah. So it's an opportunity for us to attack it from the new perspective of hydrothermal kerogen or hydrothermal oil and hydrothermal processes that make rocks for us to look at. And we got a great one right there from the pegmatite that we're diving into. And Stan is going to go into the, the details of the latest discoveries. Let's well, do it, Stan. Observations. Okay, so we're going to look at the uh, first thing that to note about this is that this rock right here this is a late you would call it or i would call it an injectite mm. uh, and it's basically it's referred to by the gemology community as black opal okay and it's silica with little particles in it <laughs> that have been identified as kerite and as far as i'm concerned it has a consistent composition this should be a mineral in the lines of the discussion we've been having. Mm -hmm. And this is a very unusual guy. Now, this has particles of kerite in it, but this is a later version of it that got together with silica, and the silica is carrying it and injecting into a pegmatite brescia. Right, which we're going to see pictures of, which is oh, really yeah. cool. Wild. So early Proterozoic is before Cambrian, basically what that means. This pegmatite is specifically, and is well dated now, been uranium lead data at 1760 plus or minus 3 MA. 1.6 billion plus or minus 3 MA. 76 billion. 1.76 billion plus or minus 3. Yeah. 3 million? 3 billion. No, plus or 3 minus million. 3 million. 3 million. So it's definitely not distilled out of T-Rex fat. No. Or some... <laughs> bacterial mat in a lake sitting on top of the thing that they want right. to dream up. This is real good science. Of course. This is early Proterozoic Earth, which is yeah. Well, that's the other problem. That's why I'm emphasizing the 1.76 right billion right year date because there wasn't enough biomass around until the Cambrian to start making uh, real biosphere. So kerite, then you'd argue, is like a primordial kerogen, universal. It's a primordial kerogen. hydrocarbon, yeah. 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 Well, not only that, this is this is the late version of it, but the earlier versions, which you'll see, it's a really cool fiber form thing. They call it monkey's hair in Germany, and um, that is embedded in heliodor barrels. In fact, if you look at that guy really closely, there's some little black stringers in there, mm -hmm. inclusions, and they may or may not be carite. But uh, let's break it up and find out. 
hell no. That's such a beautiful you specimen. Got, oh, you got man. a budget? No. That's why it's sitting on that table, not this table. Magmato, exactly. hydrothermal hydrocarbons. What does that mean? Well, they're right on the magmato-hydrothermal transition. And so my best guess on this is that it was the temperature conditions here were about 600 degrees C. Got it. Which is four or five X above the conventional oil window, which caches out at about 135 degrees C. This is happening below crust then? This is happening upper mantle? This is happening in upper crust. Upper crust? They have pressure on this and the pressure constraints are at about three kilometers down. Whoa. I thought this would be deeper. No, so this is pretty- No, yeah, pegmatites is... can be fairly shallow. Three but kilometers. three kilometers is still 10,000 feet down, so. Yeah. Below the land surface, so. And, th and, and this thing, Topped out, as you saw, and we'll see in the chamber that we're going to look at. Yeah. There's no indication that there are fractures leading from the top of that chamber upward. Right. Yeah. This thing crystallizes a fairly spherical, just like these bubble explosions. Yeah. In the, the yeah. in the magma, a bubble. That's probably a better way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. A bubble. And then this is a late hydrocarbon-rich injection. Yeah. Into a brescia that was made during the later stages of this pegmatite formation. The stuff around the edges of this is a muscovite, orthoclase, microcline pegmatite. This is only yeah. found in one place. Okay. One place in the whole world. Yep, so far. And that's it, this is where it's found. That's correct. So it's off, as you can see, to the west-northwest of Kiev, Kiev. Uh, in the Zytomor region slash oblast, if you're in the Ukrainian. And it's in the middle of that oblast. Okay. And that's a little Russian Orthodox church in the Volodarsk, which is the main town. It was the logistical base for the exploitation of the Pegmatites, which are quite interesting, actually, by the way. Next slide. Oh, I, I think it's interesting that the farmers plowing their fields were finding topaz and quartz. Yeah. Yeah, this is a big topaz locality. Wow. You'll see some of that as we go through the. So the area is built on the peg, not a, not a pegmatite, but what's making the topaz and quartz. The well, it literally granite. is. Some of the pegmatites are, occur in the town. Right at the surface. And, and then there, there's a belt of them. Holy cow. You'll see that when we, what was this? Uh, let's bail out of that. There should be another. Okay, so here's the, there's the town of Oladarsk. And, this and you can see that it overlaps the pegmatite swarm, which is that sort of gray streakish thing. And then there's a geologic map of it. Of the gray streakish thing that has all yeah, the pegmatites in it. Yeah, but most of that gray streakish thing is a granite. The little black dots there are the actual pegmatite chambers. Whoa. So, And that blue is not a lake, that's a gabbro. And this is how they find them. They go into the ground, they build these tunnels underground, and they find these pockets of pegmatites. Well, that's not place. exactly how that works. Uh, they, they drill the, the Russians in their typical Russian way. This was a Russian-administered place until 1991. And they just got a drill rig and just pinprick this whole thing. And then eventually, 
by the luck of the draw, they would bang into one of these open space cavities, ah. pockets. And then they would drive their underground to it. But a lot of this was done from the surface starting in the farmer's fields. Just drilling holes. Well, no, the farmers just found the crystals laying loose as they were tilling the fields. So that map, they're all over the place. I mean, there's hundreds, well, no, tens yeah, to there's probably a a 200 of them in there. Wow. But yeah, they're, and they're, as you can see, they, they tend to be in a zone that is at the petrological phase transaction between gabbros mm -hmm. and um, one side and granites, that porphyritic pegmatitic granite, that pink guy. Uh huh. No, on the southwest side. And then you have the transitional phases in there. Which are the orange and the light pink? Yes. And they're in that and they're in the more hydrated parts of that. And we have chemistry on that. We'll look at that in a little bit, but that's the chemistry. But what I wanted to show you was the, we have a slide that we didn't quite have a chance to uh, get all these in order. There we go. That's one of the quartz crystals. And the, as you can see, you're looking at just the tip area of what is in part a smoky quartz crystal. That's the black. And some of that black is not irradiation damage, it's hydrocarbon inclusions. Probably carite. Carite. Yeah, probably carite. So it turns out the carite, which doesn't get a lot of notoriety because it's just this black, hairy nonsense. Um, that quartz crystal is what gets the notoriety, not only with mineral collectors, but, and winds up in museums, but the, the tip of that has a lot of piezoelectric properties. Right. And that's what the Russians were after. Right. Because it sounds, a, it sends It's a, a great sound. sonar. You use it for sonar. They use it for a lot of different things. Piezoelectric quartz. Piezo quartz. Yeah. Piezo quartz. So the thing... Ultimately, it was a piezo quartz mine complex exploiting those pockets. But uh, in fact, the gems, like the heliodorus, et cetera, and, yeah, that yeah. thing, they were just throwing those out. Oh my gosh, those things are a thousand bucks a pop now or something. More than that. And they're just, get these out of here, these annoying little. Yeah, well, bear. not anymore. Now, now it's flipped. Well, yeah, now they, because they took all the piezo quartz, so there's nothing to No, there's there. plenty more piezo quartz. In okay. fact, as far as total exploration, I would say this thing is maybe half explored. Whoa. There's more there. Well, that's cool. That's something fun for the Ukrainians to dive into. Yeah. Huh. Oh yeah, this is this this district is definitely not done, and and there's going to be a lot more heliodor. There's the, the gem part of the history is is starting. There's the mineral list. So in these pockets, you can find any. All of this those kind minerals of stuff. can variously be found. Yes, not in every pocket, but cumulatively over the swarm. Yes, and it's um, basically a yttrium pegmatite complex. If you look for the element symbol Y, you will find a lot of presumed Y-bearing minerals. Ha ha ha. Zinatite and rare earth. Yeah, that's that's one of the real common. That's one of the main ones. Monazite's in there. 
Man, it's got everything. And hydrocarbons. They don't have a hydrocarbon list on here. Is karite in there? What would it be under if, it, if they don't have a hydrocarbon? It should be under hydrocarbons. They, right. they left it out. See, this is typical mineralogical arrogance. Well, if you have a reference for the karite, I will add it to this locality. You're about to see one. No, it's just literally in press right now. These guys have really nailed it, except they interpreted the goddamn thing as a biogenic thing. Well, so if you'll it be were, thrown if overboard it if you were try to... a biogenic thing, that means the sediments that it was derived from would have to be older, much older than the pegmatite. Right. It would have been distilled out of. Well, they uh, have a, a lake. Deeper levels. They have a quote unquote syngenetic lake sitting on top of this thing that just magically drains down a vertical crack and finds these chambers and pollutes them with this karite bacterial so, mat stuff. So, so they're thinking that it's super gene. Yeah. Yeah, it formed at 25C. No way. I mean, there's so many holes in that argument, but you know, the, the problem is they have no other way of doing it. So they just, that's the default, the conceptual default. So at the surface, you have a town and then you have this yeah. big zone where if you go into the subsurface and dig a hole, you're gonna find a bunch of pegmatite chambers are filled with piezo, piezo quartz, barrel, topaz, all those, all that mineralist, yeah. Everything in the mineralist, and and then and they did this over time, and these are what it looked. This that's is, a representative picture of a of a, one of these pockets. They also are called chambers, and and they are zoned. They're zoned pegmatite. Oh yeah, this is the biggest one they found, right? Five twenty one. That's five twenty one. That's up there in the corner of that map. This guy. Mm -hmm. And this is a picture of five twenty one. That's correct. And just to confirm, and that's a person there. <laughs> yeah, that was like a skeleton. At first. <laughs> a person's like what thirty to forty-five stories into the earth, thirty to forty-five. That stories. was this yeah. is on the ninety-three uh, meter level. Ooh. It's three hundred feet down. So He's sitting stories. at about three hundred feet down. Wow, thirty-story building into the earth. He found this chamber and was like, "Let's take all these things out of it. We need these things <laughs> <laughs> for our subs." This is mainly was uh, this was a very quiet, super secret mine complex during the Russian administrations because they were using the piezoelectric quartz for uh, military right. reasons, right? To map the ocean floors and stuff. Well, yeah, it was sonar, but this probably made as good as sonar, maybe even better than the sonars that we got because this was a serious quartz. Quartz piezoelectric mine. So they were using it for hunting for American submarines. Uh, that's one inference, yes. <laughs> okay, so you have. You can bet we're going to take it over now. <laughs> so obviously, this thing has been mined out. So this is a drawing of what it used to look like when it had the actual piezoelectric. That's a reconstruction of the thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then those are all those little uh, symbols there are described over there on the right. So, for example, that speckled thing up there near the top, that's the quartz core. And that re-dissolved and made those giant quartzes. And that's what they're mining, what they mine for. The black stuff. Right. And, uh, and the reason they're black, 
We're not saying that there, but basically most of them were the smoky Morion style quartz. Okay. And the hydrocarbons are found, that's the other point about the hydrocarbons, is that they are found in the in between the quartz, in the quartz itself, and in the in the coexisting topaz and in the coexisting barrels. And was is there always a gas bubble associated with these things when they broke it open and always released gas? Not always. This is a completely reconstructed representative one. Um, but I would say the bigger ones all had open space cavities in them. Wow. Okay. Uh, and then there was a um, another thing that's unique to these guys. As you can see, those big giant quartz crystals, and you can see how big they get. In fact, go go to the uh, one where they're standing around that one giant guy. There's one. There's a guy where they haul one crystal. <laughs> that thing is like a I don't know how many tons, but it's pretty impressive. And then there's the. That's part of the where they, they got it out of the ground. Yeah, along with he, the humans that found it. Yeah. <laughs> Smoky wow. quartz crystal. And the tip of that is what the... the so the rock was this Was this Rapakeving granite, which is Alfredo for your... That pink thing. Viewing pleasure is that's an analog from Arizona of a Rapakeving granite. And then a hydrothermal event implodes into? No. So you were growing a nor normal pegmatite, but this was a big chamber of low pressure and it invited fluids coming from the rocks underneath that were also crystallizing at the same time and they were more diuretic uh, and those things came flooding in and altered the original quartz core uh, no the speckled stuff okay dissolved it and made that open space chamber with the giant smokies in it and all the other gem goodies. And it sat down at the bottom of that and albatized everything. And, and one of the unique things about the Volodarsk or, or Volan pegmatites in the both the Tobes, but especially the barrel, that's why that thing looks like a flame. It originally was a nice little... Uh, hexagonal barrel but it's been dissolved oh man yeah. by acid solutions from this secondary event that came charging in etched as you called it etched them and i have yeah let's flip through the powerpoint a little bit real quick uh if you were to put step one to step 10 or whatever through this process it starts as the Ravikipi pull back out. Granite. I got. A, I've got a paragenetic flowchart for all this. Okay, where's that at? It's in the PowerPoint. We need to go find it. It's going to be right around in this area. It's kind of. Doing That's one I want to talk about. But let's go back. Can you just walk us through that image and tell us one, two? No, three, no, no. I want to do it. Okay, there it is. This guy. Yeah. Okay, so this is a sequential evolution chart from a Danish paper, except you forgot to put karite in there. <laughs> Typical mineralogist. <laughs> so I put it in. Oh, you put the karite in. Yeah, this is me overprinting this. 
And uh, so uh, that's step one that you've got your cursor High, on. Highest temperature. Seven to 600, that's the end of the granite crystallization and that's the outer. Uh, we can flip between that and go back to the, your cavity guy. Ooh, what you're gonna do. Okay, so the outer part of that, this the guy. ring guy with the L shape. Yeah, that's the graphic granite. That's crystallizing out. Yeah, and that's been zircon dated. That's where the zircon date comes from. That comes out at 1760 plus or minus three. But whatever water it had in it needs to go somewhere. It goes inward. And it goes through this blocky pigment, blocky, pegmatite, which this is thing? those, no, it's those sort of blocky squares on the inside of the L's, that oh, guy. Yes. That's the blocky pegmatite. Okay. And that's, and then you have, then it evolves a quartz core, and that's okay. the speckled guy inside of the blocky. Okay, so that's the main pegmatite formation event. You're not making barrels, you're not making karite at that point. So then these invading solutions come in. Okay. And this is operating as a low pressure node in this crystallizing, late crystallizing granite complex. By the way, the matrix for that is the biotite hornblende rapakeving granite, which is that guy sitting on the table there. Wow. Okay, so then we take over by a magmato hydrothermal process which in part does it, it's quite acid initially and it dissolves the quartz. And then you get these stages. So that's, that's what they call the post quartz inversion. They're really alluding to the hydrothermal event that comes in. Okay, this guy, yeah. Yeah, and that's all those steps that come in. So the first one's very acid. That's what's doing all the dissolving. Then it gets. Then it goes basic. basic. Uh, and then again. you it's get the cooling, smoky quartz, and then it then it goes acidized uh, again, and you're staying uh, at that uh, point. You're staying above the supercritical zone, and it's it's building its way. These crystals are building its, it's way. It's ultimately inward. working inward and downward. So at the, at the end of the day, they're the bottom of that thing in those hashers. Uh -huh. That's a highly albatized alteration zone, and and you can see up there they call it the dissolved. Pull the whole thing, albatize some. Yeah. Sodic. Very sodic. Brine thing, and it's hot. Oh, yeah. And the karaites yeah, come they, out. Yeah, and they have, one of the things they've done is they've done a full boat fluid inclusion investigation. So the temperatures, those are the homogenization temperatures right over there. The ranges of the homogenization. No, it's in that T degree C column. That guy. Yeah. What the heck? Okay, so the barrel comes out way up here, huh? Barrel and topaz is coming yeah, up. Yeah, 500 the... to 300. It's mostly coming out in the supercritical. Same with karite? Along with the karite. So, the karite starts showing up basically right at the front end of the hydrothermal process. It does not show up during the pre-quartz so-called right. inversion. And these court, the big piezoelectric quartz are coming out at the end too. Yeah, they're part of that hydrothermal event rearrangement of the 
initial pegmatite story. Incidentally, when I was uh, studying mineralogy 40, 45 years ago, people used to think or imagine that these giant crystals in pegmatites took millions of years to grow. Recent research shows that they grow surprisingly quick. quickly. I mean, we're talking about days or hours wow. rather than it's almost like flash freezing. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I mean, that when you have a good decompression event that causes crystallization like that. Bang. That's what's power. happening on your windshield, by the way, when you watch those ice crystals go charging across your glass. Wow. Hours or days, these crystals are. Yeah, you shrunk. can get giant skeletal olivine crystals that way. Wow. Those, those, uh, that porphyry texture there that's in that pink rock, yeah. that's essentially a quench texture. It's got, a, it's got an apolytic matrix, which is a fine-grained sacrosic thing, and those are rapid flash freezes. Wow. I, I never believed I got out of that whole mythology about that, and that was a mineralogy mythology. The petrologists were a little smarter than that. So now this looks like it's happening pretty quick. Yeah. But, you know, oh, you got a big crystal, it must take forever to grow that big. That's That was just sort of the first goofball uh, explanation, which is the wrong one. So what do you think, Stan? What's your best guess on how fast that thing crystallized out, the one on the left or the right? As what Alfredo was saying, days. <laughs> wow. And, and the hydrocarbons are getting entrained with that. Well, it's like hydrogenating and doing its thing, right? Quartz is stripping out oxygen. Yeah. Hydrogen's Absolutely. freeing up. Absolutely. A lot thing. of this, yeah, this is the Herkimer story all over again, just in a different format. A little higher temperature. <laughs> a little higher. Well, the highest known on the planet, according to you. Well, see, those are long prismatic crystals. Those are, those yeah. are for me, the high temperature quartz habit. The mm. stubbier Herkimer style quartzes are the lower temperature habit. Okay. Typically 200 and below. And these are the age dates on the different yeah. stages. So I've uh, had some artistic license there, but what's going on here, and this aids and abets your argument, uh, is they, they, they see these. This is another piece of petrology that needs to be corrected. Typically the standard sequence is, oh yeah, you have a mafic magma and then it fractionates or evolves a more felsic magma. So your felsic magma is the guy on the table and that stuff up the upper left. The lighter color stuff. The lighter colored stuff. Dark color to light color, mafic to felsic. But they date these things and they get the same ages in the zircons. I can't tell the difference. Between the mafic, what's going on in the dark Right, color so the what color. you're looking at there is a texture where you had an unmixing event. So essentially you take the guy over there on the upper left, that rapakeving granite, and then you take that fine grain diorite, which is a quench texture, and you add them all up and you get a unit volume of the two added together. And then when they, if you intrude that into an active tectonic setting like we were seeing on that map. Where it's cooling and Yeah, decompressing and, and blah, blah, blah. And those decompression events cause in effect a decompression or a uh, pressure driven unmixing of the 
less dense felsic guy, that's the Rapakeving guy, from the more dense diorite guy. And you, uh, every time I go to a mineral district, I look for that because that tells me that I've tells me several things. Uh, number one, there's hornblende. By the way, the main mafic mineral in there is is hornblende. Wow, plenty of water, lots of water, and water aids and abets this density-driven unmixing because it makes the whole magma more viscous and susceptible to unmix. Hmm. Uh, but that also tells you there might be some kind of mineralization event associated with that. In this case, it's those pegmatites. Right. Um, and most, a lot of petrology guys interpret that as a magma mixing event or commingling, whereas I go the opposite way. I say it's a magma unmixing event. You can't, what you can say descriptively is it's magma coexistence. And from the age dates. At about a 10 million year process. Yeah, but the interesting thing is that the, the more recently petrologically evolved stuff, 1760, that's, that's the most evolved. And then the Hornblende cyanodiorite is 1757. You can't tell the difference analytically because of the errors. So that the 1760 guy, for example, could be as young as 1757, and the 1757 guy could be as old as 1760. You're Based arguing that it's ha it could be just- They're really within bad. overlap, so yeah. you can't tell the difference. However, from a petrologic evolution point of view, yeah. you would say that those in the cross-cutting relationships that you can see, uh, you can tell that the youngest event there is that hydrothermal event. But the point being is that the what happens, and I found this on the library steps. You can't find this in any of the books in the library. Let's go to this one. This is, I have a whole talk I gave on this. This is just one slide from the talk. So here's your mafic guys. This is Snoqualmie Bathless stuff up near Seattle. Uh, and that's a hornblende guy, and it's porphyritic. And note that there's an alteration rim around the front end, the, the more bulbous shape of the thing. Mm -hmm. That's a hydrothermal fluid release that is coming from the interior of that diorite. So it came out of there, and it altered the granite diorite matrix that was starting to solidify. If you were to age date both of those, you would get something that you wouldn't be able to tell the difference on. Uh, and the point is that fluids from that mafic material come out of it and they find the, the more evolved material and alter it. And that's this is a library step model for, the for what happened in, in uh, Ukraine, yeah. Now we're back in Ukraine. So there's our more mafic guy in the pluses. And then, then the felsic guy is the guy in the roof. Mm-hmm. And then we have all the various stages within the pegmatite itself. And there's Where the a fluid has yeah. made its way into. And there's a heliodor, very coolly stuck to the roof in and amongst the big smokies. That's, by the way, the one of the first times they actually caught him in the act, because what happens is that there was a lot of pressure going on in here. And these things, a lot of these 
cavities collapsed. So a lot of the uh, coarse crystals fell down and into the muck at the bottom of the cavity, along with the barrels. That's how they were mostly found. And uh, But this is one of the few places where they actually found some stuff that had not fallen out of the roof. And that was sort of a big mystery until this Leichberg came along and got that picture. In situ. Yeah, that was one of the... And there you have some black inclusions in one of these Heliodor barrels that probably, I'm guessing, are kerite. But uh, main point is that the, when the barrel was crystallizing, so was the kerite. And there's quite a bit of kerite in these things. I always get blown away on the etching. You know, it just, it, I, I see literally like a tree in the front yard of a house and like steps going into the house. Like I. <laughs> yeah, you're looking out on the porch at the trees out yeah, there. There's like, a well, go, railing. I've got, go out of that. I've, I've got another picture of some really cool etch patterns. There you oh. go. That's the cliff, cliff dwellings in New Mexico. Yeah, see? That's exactly what I told you yesterday. <laughs> and Stan frankly, like... I don't know why in a hexagonal mineral you're producing square etch patterns. Do you have any comments on that, Alfredo? Well, you're not. You're finding them on the prison face, not on the uh, yeah. terminal faces. Yeah. So they're just reflecting the two axes of the prisms. That's a good one. But you can see in the upper right, it's kind of going back. It's going in a little bit. Yeah, you could almost say, well, there was another crystal growing there that fell out. But that's uh, another. But the problem is, I can't. Maybe it was a fluorite. This thing does coexist with fluorite. Hmm. So you could say maybe there were fluorites growing on that. But who the that hell knows? It it does though. Every time we look at one, it etches like that in kind of a rectangular. Whatever it is, Windows. it's a pretty cool mm -hmm. hopper-shaped pattern. And there's, there's the flame. Mm -hmm. And there's a little rutil or hematite, something like that. Well, I'm not sure what that is, but it could be kerite too. Is that the one on the table? Yeah, it is. And this thing also has totally cool etched face to it. See, that was a hexagonal shape thing, and it's just been dissolved down into that flame-like geometry. Yeah, I see where you captured that. Beryl does yeah. seem to get etched in pigmatites much more than the, the other Topaz, minerals. Yeah. Yeah. So we see high-temperature crystals. We see a high-temperature geologic environment. And then the kerite story is in it. It's it's in these. Yeah, it hasn't been. Well, we'll see that in a minute. Yeah, let's let's go. Okay, so here's kerite itself. This is typically how it's found in mo in moss, as big hairy lumps in between the barrels and in the quartzes and the, and it's also found as they dug into it as inclusions in this stuff. So if we were to dissolve your opal specimen in hydrofluoric acid. <laughs> Which is probably what I was doing that. <laughs> would um, that be what we get? Probably, something like mm -hmm. that. 
Yeah, should just we do it? Should we sort of like the anthraxolite in the uh, courts up in, first in Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> Stan would never. Oh, we could break that in half. If you give me $20,000 on <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, maybe one day. But anyway, so that's for the black. This is from the uh, museum, but yeah, there's a lot of this stuff around, and there's what karite is formula-wise. They call it a rare organic mineral. Well, it is. Uh, As I, as far as I know, that particular composition of hydrocarbon Mm -hmm. is only known from this locality. And if you look at its HC ratio, it's eight point seven eight C. So that would be a, a carrageen family type. HC ratio. This looks very similar to the hydrothermal rubber from Bolivian silver mines, the elaterite. Right. And you also have that from England too. I think Durham. Yeah, it's rubbery. Mm, yeah. Except this stuff is tubular. You're going to see that in a minute. Well, the English one is uh, comes from a, a limestone. It's extremely low temperature stuff. Yeah. The Bolivian one is from... Uh, fairly high temperature silver veins and comes together with uh, sphalerite and silver sulfur salts. Right. So that's 300, mm-hmm. 400 degrees C stuff. Hmm. Now, the other thing that suggests to me that this is not some bacterial mat is that they've gone into these karaites and they've actually taken those little hairs, yeah. sliced sections of them. Those yeah. Are the karaite. Is like this. It's like a hair, like a hair ball. The shape, except of it is. it's hollow. Yeah, it's got a hole in it. That's Every damn one of them. Wow, they got holes in them. And so when you they did a cross section of one of these things and then ran some kind of ramen. What is this spectroscopy? No, that's a SEM mapping, element mapping. So where and it that, shows, so that shows a calcium rich rim, a sulfur rich core. Where it's lighting up in the bright colors yeah. is where the elements some are. Aluminum, aluminum the, rich rim, mm-hmm. silica, oxygen. Yeah, that that's the the upper four are consistent. The upper three actually, the aluminum, silica, and oxygen ones are consistent with either quartz or topaz, possibly. And then you can see there's a little bit of phosphorus around them, but that's all stuff that you would not expect to find in a bacterial mat. Good point. Right. And not only that, they're growing on them. Oh, okay. Then they did uh, some uh, chromatogram stuff, which, of course, the uh, mineralogy community doesn't recognize. They should be taken out and thrashed. It's not one of the tools they typically have access to in a mineralogical lab. <laughs> right. It's just, it's not opposition, it's just unfamiliarity. Mm-hmm. Correct. It's it not to not the cost mm-hmm. and money. Is it related to money? No training habit. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. They just you know mm-hmm. mineralogists are trained that way. Being trained in using X-rays yeah. as their primary tool, so and organic chemists, organic chemists grow use, up use using chromatograms. Tools. Yeah. yeah, and they, and they they they're yeah. two ships passing in the night. Wow. And yet, wow. as far as I'm concerned, this is a very good identification tool for hydrocarbons. Species. Well, this tubular yeah. structure reminds me of some of the uh, semi-crystalline silicate minerals like, uh, um, you know, halocyte or uh, allophane. 
these uh, clay-like minerals which give you, which mineralogists consider to be amorphous because they don't give you an x-ray pattern. That's what drives do, them nuts. They do have an atomic structure. They do. At least in one direction. Mm -hmm. It's just not so three-dimensional, and that tends to form these, tend these to be two-dimensional, yeah, like a haloisite clay or um, mm. uh, you know, allophane and hissingerite and those. Which, by the minerals. way, is one of the things that's growing on these things mm -hmm. is the clays. Uh, go to that one where are we that guy that those lower two panels. That's a those are clay minerals growing around the edges of this thing. So the hydrocarbon, the H point eight C thing is the dark, obviously, right? right. It's carrot. And then this is clay. That's what they say, yeah. And they have, you know, I ID'd them, so that one at the top has two holes running through. Yeah, what what those are for me, and you can see how that thing is because of the two holes, it's more ovoid. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, that's a big clue as to how these things formed. There basically was a high temperature volatile stream going through those tubes. And it was cooling and condensing, and, and the cool and condensing product is the fiber. Is the eight hydrocarbons coming together. Right, now you can speculate what the hell was it? Well, it had to be a high temperature, could have been high temperature methane high temperature CO2 and high temperature water. I think those were probably the three main ingredients. And then- and Water in the form of gas. Yeah, super critical. Water vapor. Vapor. Vaporous. And so this cooled and coagulated, and another reason there's no structure here is because most mineralogy, there's a crystallization window that goes on between about 400 and 150. And then below that, you get silica gels, which are amorphous. Above that, you get silica gels. And then wow. in that window, you get the thing that all the mineralogy community plays with because they can get an x-ray pattern on Whoa. it. Wow. Wow. So this is out of their window. Correct. These guys wouldn't, don't handle supercritical fluids very well, which is what these things formed in the presence of. But it's a crystal. Right, it's a, it's a. Well, keep in mind these are inclusions in quartz crystals, so they were around. This stuff formed before the barrel formed, before the topaz formed, before the quartz formed, and then it got entrained in those crystals, as well as just sitting around the general area of where those things grew. So it's an early high temperature texture isn't, to isn't me. Isn't that incompatible with the supergene theory of? Uh, uh, duh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stan's usually incompatible with most. <laughs> yeah, just a problem. The only guy that'll even come down and listen to me is guys like this. But the, well, those are the best guys. It's well, he's got an open mind. We'll just try to shape it a little. Um, this was a, a, a cool little historical event that was documented about the the drilling the drilling they've drilled into one of the pockets and completely blew out the well the drill pipe yeah they had high pressure gas in there and it was probably mostly methane 
it's sealed. They contain a large amount of gas under high pressure and sealing preserved escape. Reported old logbooks and mining activities in Volan describe the event in 1959 where a depth of 600 meters. That's pretty deep. Yeah. They hit one of these pockets, pegatite yeah. pockets. How do I turn this damn thing off? That's pretty sounding, though. It's a nice ringtone. Step on it. A gas field. Yeah, but yeah. the other the other thing that this points to is the physical conditions that might have existed in these open space cavities. I mean, it was filled up with these really high pressure volatiles, including gas, including liquids, high, supercritical liquids. Right. And so that energy just blew that these pockets up. So the and energy of the pegmatite. Cooling and condensing in hydrothermal conditions, meaning well, and/or additions of volatiles from the underneath it, yeah, gas, fluid, and solid state all coming together, yeah. crystallizing out, having an end product that's encased. It has nowhere to go. It just creates this pocket. Yeah, this little cocoon. And then here we are cruising around the Earth and going, "Let's drill one of these things. <laughs> Let's poke into it, see what happens." Yeah. And boom, the thing blew up. And all of a sudden, shit happens. But it, the gas, the gas came from the hydrogenation of the carogen, of the keratin. Well, it's carotin. part of the overall energetics in the system that are making all this complicated mineralogical okay. response to over. it. So yeah. Like a yeah. In fact, this is the leftovers, this black opal. So once it got down below supercritical and it started getting into the, below the crystallization window, black opal started to form. So this is the the end of the story that we're looking at here. Whereas the karite fibers is the beginning of the story. The with all these crystals going growing in between it. I'm noticing on the lower part of the screen the reference there, fossilization of Precambrian microfossils. Yeah, shut up. Is that that's that's this paper that I keep. Microfossils is that yeah. the kerite fibers that they are interpreting yeah, exactly, as microfossils? Exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. you should. If you read through the text narrative, it's so circular and it's so presumptive about what the origin of these things are. Once you throw the organic term on it, you go there. You oh, just, yeah. They just go there and have to start using organic terminologies. And, and I, I, I'm just geology. reading through it. I hit a couple of sentences where they're heavy into that. And I go, oh, my God. I hope I don't puke here. Uh -oh. it's, a, it's a small world. I know the second author there really well. I've been to, <laughs> I've been to his house in Luxembourg and looked at his mineral. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, that'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. We'll no, he's a well-known mineralogist. And, and he has, probably has a – well, he really likes um, vo uh, Volin. Yep, yeah, he's done digging underground there. Yeah, yeah. Well, there well, I have. Adorable. Yeah, that uh, mineralogical record article is a great. <laughs> I hate smartphones. Trying to outsmart you. <laughs> I don't know how to turn the damn thing off. Lori does. Like, turn it off, please. I, I don't. Know. I think there's just there's something on the yeah, side, right? Just oh, that's your it. Okay. Um, Silent mode on. Okay, now ringer, so we'll go silent mode on. Oh, thank you, thank you. Silent on, which means ringer off. <laughs> See, when I get in trouble, that's one of the reasons that I've had her around I since 2005. Right. She bails me out of this kind of nonsense. As long as we do iPhones, then we all know. So the microfossil, 
terminology is referring to the keratin? Yes, kerite. Kerite. I always think kerogen every time I think of the word. Well, as I was, we've discussed earlier, um, I'm not sure where the name origin for kerite comes from, but it certainly sounds like half of kerogen. <laughs> right. Right. And it could be. Wow. Right on. But yeah, Alfredo knows some of these guys. He knows everybody. Well, that's the presentation. Yeah. Whoever it was, we just hung up on him. So we got it done on time, right? Oh, I don't know about time. We didn't have a time. I just wanted to get through what you thought was the coolest thing about Ukraine, which it's I think this is cool. one of them. I have something else to add. Um, or what I, something I wanted to ask you. And that is... Um, He's so diplomatic. Can you... <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I wanted to ask you about the relationship between kerite and the thucholite or thucholite. Or however That's you the uranium it. hydrocarbon. Well, it's a, it's a hydrocarbon from uh, Precambrian pegmatites in Ontario. Ontario is the first place. Yeah. And it is... Uh, it's mostly hydrocarbon, but it also has some uranium oxides and thorium oxides in it. As, mm -hmm. uh, whether those are essential to the formation or just contaminants, I have no idea. You can but, ask the same question about the nitrogen and the sulfur that they find in the kerite. Mm -hmm. And um, again, because there's not a good structural definition as to where those things are and whether they're just kind of mixed in with the hydrocarbon molecules. Uh, you know, if I were to say, okay, where does the uranium sit? I would probably maybe it proxies for carbon, but I don't know. Or it may be just admixed. It may be admixed too. But can we assume that the uh, thucholite in Canada and the kerite in Ukraine had a similar origin? Uh, yeah, there is. Uh, go to the mineral list. There are uranium. I think uraninite is a mineral in these pegmatites. It's not common. But it's there. In fact, I think they've even used the word thucholite, but not because it's not a mineral. They don't use it here. That would be under... Oxides. Oxides. Yeah, there's uraninite. Wow. UO2. So they find it here. Right, but I I don't know that they've actually found it in intimate association with the kerite. Mm, that's what you're saying. He's wondering. Well, in, in Canada, where you have hydrocarbons in pegmatites too, at several different pegmatites in Ontario, wow. the hydrocarbon in the pegmatite tends to be radioactive. It has a small uranium and thorium content. Yeah, so and you we put don't a Geiger know whether that's on, just other minerals that mixed in it that mm. were deposited at the same Specifically, time. Specifically, uh, micro uranium dissolved in the hydrocarbons and part of the hydrocarbon. I don't know. That would be the same situation here. You could have a little admixed uranonite. I mean, have you micro. checked uh, no. the radioactivity? Of, uh, Hell, I just got these things a few weeks ago. You have a radioactivity device in your bag right now? I do. We can measure it right away. Wow. 
This is awesome. This is, You're the coolest my, friend, is, Stan. This is my Boy Scout bag. Oh, it has um, uh, only the you best. You got a rubber band can, on that one, though. Well, the battery is falling out. Can we get a shout out for what, uh, what device this is? Who makes that? Uh, well, it's Russian, and uh, this, <laughs> is, this is actually, and the writing on it is all in Russian, but this is wow. a Russian Geiger counter. Oh. These were mass produced and distributed after the Chernobyl reactor exploded. So, how does it actually work? It's really useful for mineral collecting because oh. you can. Uh, it's just a regular Geiger counter. It's. Uh, I'm not uh, familiar. Uh, what? How does it work? It has. Um, well, we can see if this is higher than the background count. Oh, definitely. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Should we not be touching that thing? No, no. I mean, I, I wouldn't grind it away? into a powder and Stick snort it. it like cocaine. <laughs> Stick it down by your crotch. Darn it. That was the one we were going to use this week, weren't we? We were going to grind that one up. Oh, yeah. This is this is uh, surprisingly hot. So, yes, I would say that kerite is just like yeah. uh, thucholite, and it does have... Add mixed uranite, maybe. Yeah, so wow. this is this is roughly uh, four times a normal background count for. Uh... Okay, again, I'm sorry. I'm not going to let you off the hook on this. How does that thing work? Well, I haven't opened it to check inside. That's but a very if it's interesting like point. a normal Geiger counter, it's you have uh, um, when ionizing radiation. And we're looking for gamma rays and beta rays, which basically ionize gas when it passes through them. Ionized gas passes an electric current. Unionized gas doesn't pass electric current. Wow. So basically, you just have a little glass receptacle with gas in it and electrical connections to it. And every time you hear a beep on it, it means a radioactive particle went through the gas and ionized it. Through the electrical and, highway. And uh, established the, the connection, electrical connection. So it's an extremely simple apparatus. There's nothing high tech about it. They've been around for, uh, well, ever since uh, Geiger's time. So that's what, yeah. uh, 80, yeah. more than 80 years ago. Yeah. Wow. Well, that device looks like my old Game Boy. So I'm going to put it like a 1990s. What did that thing cost? Um, they were sold right after Chernobyl. And I don't, what's that, 20 years ago or so? They, more than that. Yeah. Which the Russians were selling them for around $45. Chernobyl's not that far yeah. from here, Can by you the bring way. That Where is airplane? it? Oh, yes, because it's not radioactive. It just measures uh, radioactivity. Yeah. And in fact, you nice. shouldn't carry one on an airplane it? if you're flying from Tucson to Europe. Because when you fly close to the magnetic North Pole, which the polar routes from Arizona to Europe go on, yeah. you will be shocked at the high levels of radiation you are subjected to on airplanes. Wow. Because the uh, magnetic field of the Earth okay. concentrates the ionizing huh. radiation coming in close to the magnetic poles. And so the background radiation skyrockets when you're on a plane <laughs> flying on the polar routes. So do people so, have problems with their technology on the plane? What about the actual controls of the plane? No, no, it doesn't, never causes okay. a problem. And, and people worry about radioactivity too much, I think, because yeah. the pilots and flight attendants who regularly fly those routes, they're they exposed to several times more radioactivity than we are living here at sea level or mm -hmm. but so um hmm. 
you know, it doesn't, are, are there any epidemiological studies showing higher rates of cancer among flight attendants or pilots who fly on pol polar routes? Uh, I'm not aware of any. No. They, and their lifespans are about the same. Mm -hmm. No, I, I don't think it's a problem. If you find um, it, somebody else selling one of those one of these days, please pick it up for me. I'll reimburse you with some interest. Okay. I want one. Okay. <laughs> well, if you go on Amazon, there's Geiger counters for sale. They're good American ones. They're, Made in oh, China. You know, they're, they're <laughs> this, this, this Russian crap that falls apart and needs elastic bands to hold it together, <laughs> <laughs> that's 45 bucks. But you can get a good, well-constructed American one for around $300. <laughs> Yeah, it's the same thing with their microscopes. But mm -hmm. you know, they have, the parts are good. I mean, the they work. Are, yeah, but they're not built to last. You had to actually physically touch the surface of the no. rock with that. No. no, no, no. But the radioactivity diminishes with the square of the distance. So you most collectors or people get scared of radioactive minerals, but it's really only easily detectable when you're close up to the stone. You, you, you take the hottest, most radioactive uranium mineral you can find. And Which if you hold Uranium. the Geiger counter a meter away from it, you won't detect anything mm -hmm. because the radiation uh, diminishes so rapidly with distance. I, oh, radioactive. Yeah, I messed that up. What'd you say the name There's... of that mineral was? The most radioactive one? Uraninite? Uraninite. Yeah, that's going to be really radioactive. That's uranium oxide. There's some Geiger yeah. kinders on Amazon. $100, $200, three, dollars 400 So I'm not sure what you'd be looking for, but looks like there's some decent ones. It's black. So how do we kind of un-mess this up at this point in your opinion, Alfredo? You know, we need to integrate machinery and disciplines to, to get a better, more evolved mineral, mineralogic like idea of what's actually happening in the physical world. Don't you agree? Well, scientists have their little compartments and they don't always interact with other groups. And uh, we could learn a lot more if there was more interaction. I mean, even clay mineralogists do not interact very much with regular mineralogists. The clay mineralogists, they have their own techniques for studying clay minerals. They use different instrumentation than regular mineralogists do. They have their own separate international conferences. Um, they it's don't the Ryder Cup, right? collaborate terribly well with the IMA, the International Mineralogical right. Association. Right now, uh, the last two years, I've been working on a crystallized organic mineral that occurred in, uh, that is found in peat bogs near Munich in Germany. And it is an, as it's crystallized, it's uh, a hydrocarbon, a, wa a waxy type of soft hydrocarbon. What? It's derived from the resin of uh, pine trees that were buried in this uh, peat bog and subjected to whatever goes on in the acid waters of a peat bog. Oh, wow. And uh, it's really, really hard. We have submitted crystallized specimens of this to several different mineralogists in Europe trying to get this stuff described, and they just don't have the techniques for doing it. it um, they just say sorry and return the samples to us because they... At least they return It's obviously to you. crystallized. You can see the crystals. 
but uh, we've had a very hard time so far finding anybody to work on it because mineralogists all have their little specialties and compartments and in general they don't cover organic substances so calm yeah mm. like in that case it sounds obvious it's a cultural problem who who are you working on it with well stefan shorn the uh, the gentleman who's he's a hobby mineralogist the gentleman that started mineralian atlas which is ah, the german yeah. language uh, competition for mindat right uh, he lives in munich and he and i went out to this peat bog to look for an organic mineral called uh, reficite uh, reficite is a crystallized uh, resin from pine trees and there was a very old reference obscure reference that had occurred in this peat bog and we went out there looking for it and we found some crystals that we thought were reficite how do you spell and reficite r e f i k <laughs> i think there's one photo on minda which i put there there it is that's spherical yes. thing so it's not a, a, a great uh, photo but you see some little whitish uh, like swallow-tailed uh, twinned crystals there that's the uh, the the reficite or what we originally we may have to change this because what we originally thought was the reficite that we were looking for turns out to be that it's probably something new and there mm. are actually no uh, specimens of reficite it's a coh thing huh ch it's another polyaromatic hydrocarbon it is what's the yeah. oxygen doing on it it's it's an accessory i mean if you look at it there's just two oxygens and then there's a, most of its well look at the 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 short formula on top doesn't depict it's just a no that's a bulk formula. formula yeah yeah you look at the bottom formula you see the chemistry of it better but this is the kind of thing that uh, will make a regular mineralogist uh, his eyes will glaze over and he'll get a headache and um, yeah it's got acetic acid only totally really an organic chemist that would uh, understand that yeah so this happened in some kind of acidic environment acidic yeah and if you were to do a structural thing you'd have a lot of six rings you'd have a lot of rings those things would be attached to the apices of these rings. And Refik, the guy it's named after, was a Turkish journalist a hundred years ago. And the mineral's type locality is in a peat bog in Italy. No one has any, on all the original references to it are lost. Nobody has any idea why this Italian peat bog mineral ended up getting named after a Turkish journalist. And the second locality it was found in the world was this peat bog near Munich. And every year after the Munich show, Stefan Schorn and I go out there looking for more of it. And when we found these crystals, we got very excited uh, thinking that we had finally found the reficite. But the latest information you from found Stefan Stan, is, you found Stan Keith, yes, the latest information from Stefan Shorn is that it was x-rayed and it turns out to be something new. We just can't get anybody to describe it and submit it. <laughs> wow. So huh. the elusive reficite is still waiting to be found. Well, is there a lot of this other stuff? There's quite a bit in the roots of, you have to basically find uh, roots of old pine trees that have died and been pickled in the acid in the peat bog. 
and you look for uh, the, this wood that has cracks in it, and you smash it open, there's little crystals in the cracks. It's like these damn Sararos around here. Yeah, the Sararos with their eulite uh, crystals, calcium oxalate. Uh, yeah, right. it's making a PAH, it's making a... Peat and pine. <laughs> yeah, pine tar. Pine tar, and it's a bunch the of amber aromatic yeah. hydrocarbons all crammed together. But the peat is yeah. dirt, isn't it? In a specific way. It's pickled vegetable matter that didn't finish decomposing into dirt. compost because of the acidity of the, the water. Mm. So even they found pickled people in, uh. in, in Ireland and Denmark. <laughs> pickled people in the peat box? That's exactly right. Um, oh. These have been carbon dated to like 5,000 years old. These people. And these are human beings. Did they, did they turn into died, stone? Which who were either very no, they it's just they're literally pickled leather. Uh. If you if you took a piece of leather and put it into your pickled yeah, mummified, left it for several years. Cool. It's pretty old jar of preserved. eggs. So we're gonna do so, with you. They have pictures of these Pick guys. Um, I imagine. Yes, if you sure. if you look on Wikipedia on under Peat Bog Man or something look, look like at that. Peat <laughs> Bog Man. <laughs> Peat Bog. Peat. Uh, bog, bog. This is going to turn Peat into the best podcast you'll, you'll you've find ever done. Photos of wow. pickled uh, people from the uh, famed bog bodies. Lindo Man, Lindo Man, also known as Peat Marsh. Well, that's one of them. But there are many. Oh, there are hundreds of these things. That's probably what. Oh my gosh, what? Is this These Sinai? are five five thousand year old pickled people. It looks that like came the scarecrow from the window. You know what you know what they did? That's what they did with them. They, and when they died, just they just they the just threw them in the bog. One of these 5,000-year-old guys was found with a rope around his neck. He had been hanged and then the, they had tossed the body into the peat bog. <laughs> And just like Whoa. you preserve cucumbers by pickling them in vinegar, the acid stops the cucumber from decomposing. The acid in the the natural acids in peat bogs oh. stop Wood organic matter from decomposing. So how big are these peat bogs? Are they like miles? Oh, they can cover square miles. Yes. Yeah. Wow. In Ireland, and, and are they, they are um, dug up as a are fuel. They swampy? A, yes. With yes. water and is smelly. No, 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 no. They're not Does smelly smell at like all. Does it smell like dirt or it just smells like earth? Earth. That's a dirt. Yeah. Dirt. A smell. Organic smell. Wow. And what That's makes the them? That's the way to go. What makes a peat bog? Oh, sort of water and a lot of organic debris just floating, falling into it. So it's anaerobic. Anaerob yeah. So the combination of the acid and the lack of oxygen preserves the organic matter for millions of years. Why so does the fluid get so acidic? You know, eventually, peat turns into lignite uh, right. coal if it gets uh, buried and dehydrated. Do we have these in our country here? Is, what, is it cold weather? Does it, does it, does it like cold weather, peat the peat? Well, uh, Munich, you're talking about Munich. Yeah, right. Ireland, Denmark. Uh, you you have a lot of peat bogs no, in cool, glaciated, you know, in in the uh, deglaciated terrain. So that's I bet there's a bunch of them up in Wisconsin. Global distribution. Probably not around Arizona. There you go. 
peatlands. Oh, look, they're very far north. But Africa? Come on. Where are we going in Africa now? Looks like Benin and Ivory Coast down there in the... You blew it. You had a chance to go find dead the guys in a peat bog. Well, one of the... Uh, Indonesia has a lot of peat bogs, which because of global warming, they've dried out and caught fire. And these fires burn for hundreds of square miles, two or three feet under the ground. Wow. And, like uh, a burning coal. There is an enormous carbon dioxide contribution to the atmosphere coming from burning peat bogs in Indonesia. Mm. And these things are like burning three feet beneath your feet, and there are mm. still people living and farming up above them. Oh, wow. They're pretty, those bogs. But isn't that strange? There aren't any in North... Wait, can you zoom in? It looks like Florida has some. Zoom in Ireland, they found um, a substance called yeah. bog Florida, butter. Florida, Texas? Is that A little true? California guy? A little bit. Yeah, it's maybe Louisiana, Louisiana or something. Yeah, that's a Delta. Some hmm. peat bogs. Hmm. That's the, the lowest rank form of coal. And then you put yeah. some rock on it, pressurize it a little bit, and you turn it into uh, lignite coal. And then you do a little bit more of that, and you go to bituminous coal. And then you right. really crank it up a bit, and you get to anthracite coal. Yeah, I remember that. The whole coal metamorphic rank story. Right. And it's uh, it's just, it gets a weird isolated swamp. It doesn't get any more fresh water to mess with it. Like it just, yeah, for it's, some reason, it's, he gets... says it's anaerobic. It's, a, it's very reduced, low oxidation state. You stuff. think that fluids like is that a is that a true super gene like surface process or is that influence from something no, it's to mostly on? a surface process? Bizarre. Yeah. Look at the stuff in Siberia, Jesus. Well, in Canada, I, I didn't realize that Canada it really had so cold. much of it. <clears throat> yeah. That's why I'm really cold or African. <laughs> wow. South America. Well, and then anaerobic minerals, minerals that don't like oxygen, will crystallize in peat bogs too. It's not only organic minerals, like the world's largest uh, vivianite crystals. It's an iron phosphate that's uh, very sensitive to oxygen. And the biggest vivianite crystals in the world, these gemmy blue-green things up to a meter long, grew in uh, peat bogs in Cameroon in Africa. Wow. It's over there on the east coast, I think, Cameroon. Yeah, west, look at all that west. stuff over in Ireland. Yeah. Yeah, in all Ireland, green. peat has historically been used as a fuel for heating houses. People would just mm -hmm. go out with a shovel and dig it and mm -hmm. dry it out <laughs> and then take it home and use it as, as a winter heating fuel. Northern Ukraine, It's extremely... Maybe. Uh, you know, because it's really, as as Stan said, it's the the basically you could consider it as the lowest quality of coal, <laughs> and so um, it's very polluting when you burn it. It's very smoky. Yeah, I've heard. I think I've heard of. There's actual operations where they take like huge, like uh, buildings. loaders. Yeah, building size like loaders. Yeah, and they scrape this stuff off and burn it for energy. Sure. And one of the most important facts about peat is that it's the substance that gives the flavor to scotch. What? When you drink huh. scotch, yeah. you're drinking uh, peat water. 
they they filter it through peat, and the peat gives it the uh, the flavor uh, punch. Yes, uh, well, that was fun. I'm going to turn everything off, and we'll go to lunch. Sounds good.